Welcome to She Thrives ADHD, the podcast where we proudly embrace the intersection of ADHD and feminism. I'm Louise and I'm here with my lovely co-host Laura. Both healthcare professionals, Laura's a midwife and myself a mental health nurse, initially united by our joint pursuit of women's mental health. We now have both been diagnosed with ADHD within months of one another and in true ADHD fashion, We set to work on understanding, sharing and embracing our challenges. We're absolutely thrilled to have you join us on this empowering journey. At She Thrives, we believe that ADHD is not a limitation, but a gift to be unwrapped. And when combined with the transformative principles of feminism, it becomes an unstoppable force for positive change. Each week, we'll delve into the dynamic world of ADHD and feminism with the help from our guests exploring their unique connections, challenges and remarkable triumphs. From personal stories to expert insights, this podcast is your go-to source for all things related to these empowering identities. Together, we'll challenge stereotypes, debunk myths and champion neurodiversity and gender equality. We're committed to fostering a supportive community that celebrates the brilliance of ADHD minds and the power of feminism. Uh, Roxanne, welcome to our podcast. Really happy to meet you and learn a bit more about you and what you're up to. Um, so I'm Louise. I'm a mental health nurse and I was diagnosed with ADHD at the age of 40. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm here with my co-host, Laura. Hello, hello. I'm Laura mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed with ADHD at the grand old age of 37. Mm-hmm. Um so it's been nearly eight months since I've had my diagnosis and my life has shifted dramatically since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are very interested to hear about you, not me. Although I am very interested as well, but let's, let's talk about Roxanne today. Um, so we have Roxanne and we'll hand over to you and just you can chat away and tell us a bit about yourself, um, how old are you how old when you got your diagnosis and just a bit about your journey to mm-hmm. see and what you've done with it since all your projects that you've got okay oh. <laughs> uh, so yeah hi I'm Roxanne thank you for having me on um and so yeah I got I got diagnosed with ADHD at uh 32 and I'm 33 now um nearly 34 I think but anyway uh, mm-hmm. and I got um I got diagnosed after having um my two kids so I'd always been I'd always it's, it's a very similar story to what you hear everybody sort of says like I'd always felt a little bit different I'd always felt like I didn't quite mesh with regular people um like I was always the emotion overly emotional one the one that was uh like took things too sensitively took things too seriously um and was just hard work I think I would have been called um but so then like it wasn't until I was 32 and then I'd had my two kids I struggled after having my first my oldest kid he's three and a half now and I got obviously I went to the doctors and I was diagnosed with postnatal depression because that's what a woman who is struggling after having a child must have and they don't really consider any alternatives um 
So I got diagnosed with postnatal depression and referred for counselling. And I've been, I've tried to have counselling historically and I've never stuck it out. I always do like one or two sessions and get really into it for like the first couple of sessions. And then after that, I'm just sort of like, yeah, okay, I'm done with this now. It's not really working. I feel a bit better. So, and then always drop out. Um, And now when I look back, I kind of see that it's because my moods, although I, I had periods where I was feeling low, I wasn't feeling low every day. Yeah, it wasn't uh, like no mood. It was me feeling low. And then I'd have bouts where I was feeling like great. And, and I was like, okay, so I'm not depressed then. Uh, so then I think I was had bipolar, but then that didn't seem to quite tally up because I wasn't going through the cycles as like, as, as it was described online or whatever um so I was just like right I'm just fucking crazy then or I don't know I'm just like I'm just not stable (laughs) um and so I just muddied on and and then uh had had my second child and then it's when things started cropping up on social media about ADHD. I think it's because the pandemic had happened mm. and it wanted to be a bit of a spike in women getting diagnoses. So every and everybody joined social media and started sharing all TikToks and stuff. Um, so then I started seeing all the stuff and I sent a t- one to my husband and I was like, I think I've got ADHD, like as a joke, like LOL sort of thing. And then he replied and we was, he was like, yeah, I think you have. <laughs> um, really? like, oh, Yeah. And then I didn't really do anything with it for a long time. I just sort of, I just shared memes with him as a joke, like, oh, this is me, this is me. And then it got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm struggling. I, like, why don't I go to the doctors and see? Um, and then I went to the doctors and it was difficult getting them to listen to me because I'd heard so many horror stories. I went in quite defensive um and I don't know if that's what a lot of people do but I was just like I just went in with all the information and I was like look I've got ADHD or I think I've got ADHD um I want a I want an assessment um and that was sort of it and I've always been very direct and very sort of like I know what I want and I'm going to ask for it sort of thing and then the doctor was just like and I wanted a referral to write to choose because I was scared of the long waiting lists. So I went straight in and asked for a right to choose. And the doctor was like, um, okay, so we're going to refer you to our local our local thing. So I didn't know what right to choose was. And I had to ring them back three times because I she wasn't listening. Um, sorry, I feel like I'm wittering on loads. No, no, you know what you're saying? That's what it's about. Crack on. <laughs> no, it's really hard to talk for a long time and listen to your own voice. <laughs> Um, and she was, and she didn't know what right to choose was. So I ended up having to write a letter to the practice manager um, and say, and I had to have a meeting with them because nobody knew what right to choose was. And I had to print out a load of information. It was just exhausting when I was trying to manage also two young kids and everything else. And I was like, this is what right to choose is. I've got a right, I want to go down this pathway, refer me to them. And the doctor was like, well, you've had a referral to the local services. And I was like, that's not what I wanted and blah, blah, blah. And then I ended up ringing the local services and saying, how long's the waiting list? And they said, two weeks. So then, oh. I, 
so then I was yeah forget that right (laughs) shoot yeah so then I had a phone call I had a phone call from the practice manager practice manager deeply apologetic because I'd sent her a really emotional email and she was like I'm really sorry we're going to refer you to psychiatry UK I think it was um and I was just really sheepish like oh, thank you so much for the apology but actually I'm, I'm okay that <laughs> it's gone it's, it's fine <laughs> yeah and it was it just felt so typical of me as well it just like I feel like I'm forever fighting something and then I don't know have my tail between my legs a little bit I don't it just felt yeah. it was such a Roxanne a Roxanne story but the thing <laughs> is you know don't underestimate yourself there because you will have triggered hopefully quite a lot of lessons within that GP practice yeah because they now know about the right to choose so you know the next person that comes in after you asking I hope so that that means then they already know about it and that person doesn't have as much of a fight as you did yeah and the the doctor I was dealing with was a student doctor so hopefully that's prepared her moving forward now um and then I wrote, and then so the the local uh, assessment service got in touch with me and said we can offer you an appointment on this date. And because of managing childcare and stuff, I asked for a date two weeks after that. And she was like, "Are you sure that's uh, that means you'll be waiting four weeks?" And I was like, "I was like, that's fine." Thinking people all over the country are waiting years. Like, yeah. And I was just, I couldn't believe, and I feel really, I feel almost guilty saying it because I know the struggles people are having to get a diagnosis. And I couldn't believe I was getting in that quickly. And I think it's because it was, they just set the service up. So I don't know the state of the service prior to that or anything. So mm. I think just set it where up. Were so you, where were you based, Roxanne? Where? Um, uh, Staffordshire. Staffordshire, they'll get inundated, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, you know, everybody will be right to choose over here now. I don't. This Apolog- year, apologies, Staffordshire. <laughs> this was yeah. a year and a half ago, so I don't know what it's like now. Um, so then, yeah, I had my assessment, um, and and then it was really sort of anticlimactic at the end. He was just sort of like, yeah, 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 you've got inattentive ADHD, um, and then I was like, I knew uh, it. Yeah. Now Thank what? You. Like, where the, where are the balloons? <laughs> um, yeah, but because uh, I'm still breastfeeding my youngest, so I can't have medication. Okay. Oh, wow, okay. Um, no medication? No, because they haven't done enough trials or tests on it, On because it's unethical to really to to do trials on breastfeeding women because they don't know the impact on the baby or anything like that. So they just yeah. don't know enough information to say with enough certainty or safety to say that um, that you can take them. So I, I, he referred me for counselling, which was actually one of the best, not not just regular counselling. It was ADHD, psychotherapy, counselling. Wow, yeah. Sorry, Rox, I'm interested to ask you a bit more about that. I, I read that and, yeah. and you called it ADHD therapy. Yeah, well, I don't, don't know. That's just my term for it. No, no, no I know. Yeah, yeah. it was for ADHD particularly. Yeah, so it was a therapist with ADHD. She had ADHD, so we gelled really quickly. Um, and it was basically so the aim was um, for me to go through my whole journey and understand my ADHD, how it impacts me, how I can manage some of the triggers, and also unpicking a lot of. Um, a lot of sort of trauma stuff and previous things that I'd got stuck in. Um, and it was it was amazing. 
Uh, it was only six sessions, which was unfortunate because I would have loved it to go on longer, and I could have I could have paid for it to carry on longer, but unfortunately, finances don't allow for that at the minute. But even those six sessions was enough to turn my thinking around and to change. Not don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not like radically different, but I'm certainly much kinder to myself than I ever was before. My husband understands me so much better. Um, so I just feel like the quality of my life in lots of areas has improved. And it's why it's frustrating that sort of you hear a lot of reports about people are just being automatically just prescribed medication or, and I'm not denying medication, I think medication is an important part of it, um, but it does state in the nice guidelines that they need to be offered together. You need to be offered both ther- therapy and medication. Um, and I, yeah, I think it's really important. So it's frustrating that people just aren't even being offered that option. It's yeah. one or the other. They're kind it's of getting the diagnosis on the, the meds and left to your own devices, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's interesting, Roxanne, about, about that, and that's what I want to kind of pick your brains a little bit more, is, is you're right, the nice guidelines don't, um, uh, do stay the pharmacological along with non-pharmacological therapy or treatments is mm-hmm. best practice but it's trying to um it's for me it's trying to understand what does that mean what does non-pharmacological therapy or intervention look like for somebody with ADHD and it doesn't feel like it's very specific that's mm. why I'm when you said that that was specifically for ADHD, that treat that um, course of counselling you had, um, and I'm, there, there are going to be loads of overlaps with lots of other different therapies. Um, and CBT is is known to be quite effective once somebody's kind of on, usually on medications, so they've reached that level of functioning where they could really engage with CBT in, in the sense of learning those skills, their strategies to cope. Yeah. Um, so that's why I was interested what what you've been offered, and it it sounds like it was like a therapy, but like you say, specific to ADHD. Yeah, and maybe it was just like maybe it was kind of um, a tailored approach for somebody with ADHD and, and dealing with a with a diagnosis of something, um, and like you say, unpicking the past. I think the key thing as well was that she had ADHD herself, mm-hmm. and that like that was huge because she could really understand where I was coming from um so the more people that we can get into these jobs obviously the better the more people with ADHD who have the experience the better and it was a remote thing as well so she was um he was based in London so we did it virtually um and just yeah just having the space to sort of to understand my ADHD as well, because I know I like I, I still don't know what's ADHD, what's trauma, what's um, what's me, yeah, 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 and what's what's normal. And I think it'll always be that battle, really, because when you've gone thirty-two years and with masking and everything, yeah. it's sort of you've created yourself from all this jumble of messes and different things, haven't you? So it's never going to be as cut and dry as, okay, well, that's the the ADHD and, you know, that's just something from a past cropping up or whatever. It's it's always going to interplay. And just just listening to you speak, it's something I I think I see quite often with people with ADHD and 
Laura, you might feel the same, that kind of dismissive kind of, oh, is it just trauma or is it just this or is it just that? And actually all of those things are really, really valid and important, but there's this real sense of, like you say, that imposter syndrome, that mm. that lack of, of kind of compassion for ourselves sometimes. And in my experience, that's that has gotten better since I've been diagnosed. Um, but like you say, it's a lifetime of of unlearning something and mm-hmm. we're never gonna complete well for me, I don't think we'll ever completely go away that kind of that self-deprecation, that sense of yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'm wrong, I've done something wrong, just get on with it. Um, you know, that yeah. dealt with it much better than you. Because I think when you grow up as a I'm quoting in, in air quotes now, which I don't really like doing, but as a sensitive child. Oh, yeah. Usually, if you're surrounded by people who aren't sensitive, um, it's not it's not seen it's not perceived as a very positive thing, is it? Well, no. for me, um, and I think that comes from parents growing up around you just feeling anxious themselves and saying, "Well, can you just like pull it together and get it together, and then I'll feel better." And hundred percent, hundred percent, and doesn't uh, and that comes to the forefront so hard when you have your own kids. Mm. And it's like, uh, and um, I don't want to talk about my own kids too much, just because obviously that's their lives and their privacy. So, um, oh, you're very respectful. I talk about my kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that mine's come on the podcast. Oh, are you? <laughs> I mean, if they consent and obviously want to do that, that's great. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I have, I have no respect for the boundaries. <laughs> I just, yeah I just um uh I don't really know they're only three in one as well but I yeah, just, they get I'm just trying to aware of it yeah yeah I mean we're, we're on the edge right now <laughs> <laughs> but sort of yeah when you have kids that sort of comes to the forefront doesn't it and like you start unpicking about how you've been raised or whatever and and how you want to parent and I think that yeah. also fed into how um fed into me seeking my diagnosis because I went on this whole like in air quotes improving myself journey and I want to be better for me and for my kids and and all of that um but it is a lot of pressure growing up and being the sensitive one and it been seen as as a a positive yeah and as as it's been a bad thing um and I would like to share actually that, um, you know, that's probably something that so far I've not given enough consideration to that I was always the very emotional child. So, and particularly when I went into midwifery and something would upset me that, you know, somebody would have said something and I would take it the wrong way or I would take it the right way because maybe that's how they intended it in the first place. Yeah. Um, you know, and I spent a lot of my time crying in the stockroom or the toilet or on the phone to my husband. Mm. And I did get a lot of this type of feedback. Oh, you just need to grow a thicker skin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it should be water off a duck's back and this, you know, this profession. But no, that just, it didn't stand mm. with me at all. I thought, no, I, I don't need to grow a thicker skin. Like, if this is how I feel, that is valid. Yeah, absolutely. That's upset me, and I'm within my rights to be upset about that. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just that I spend half my life crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I, and that, but now I understand why. 
Yeah. It's just, just so incredibly insightful. And actually, thanks, Roxanne, because I never really, I never really considered the depth of that before. You know, at school, if I get into trouble from the teacher, I would be sobbing. Um, yeah. If my, if my pals shared their sweeties and I never got one because there was none left, I would be crying. Um, oh yeah. Friendships for me were just an absolute minefield, really. Um, yeah. I've still got, I've still got like a couple of my core friends from that time um, that I'm still very close to. But I, I mean, trying to kind of navigate all those dynamics of being a teenager and. I guess I'm a bit like you in the sense that I probably felt as if I was too much for people. I was very intense. I was very feeling. Um, mm. I, so I thank you for bringing that to the forefront. But what what was it like for you in terms of friendships at the school when you were growing up? And do you recall kind of I think, big emotions at that point? And yeah, I mean, primary school. I, I think like I very much. I sort of kept myself to myself and I remember a lot of time playing with a lot of the younger kids um and I don't remember really a lot of of primary school but then in high school um I think by that point I'd I was working really hard to hide the the big emotions I was having already at that point which is exhausting in itself stressful Um, yeah and I had so I do I, I made um, my best friend in high school, which I'm still very, who I'm still very close with now, and we've been friends now for I don't know twenty years. Um, and because she's she's seen me thin, really. Um, but it is it was really hard navigating stuff because I, although, and people are surprised when I tell people when I tell people that I have ADHD now because I just don't externally present in the stereotypical way that people expect ADHD to. And I just, because I hide stuff so much and because I, 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 I'm I so sensitive to mood changes and to like just changes in tone and demeanour and yeah. everything. Yeah. So I just pick up on everything. Yeah. Like those environmental things, you really feel the vibe kind of yeah. The energy. Yeah. And I'd yeah. go home and I'd just be so consumed by it and upset by anything yes. that I, yeah. had happened that day and it could that I think that like that drove this real I used to be the kid I used to stick up for the kids that were being picked on I had that like that drive to to sort of either protect people or to um what justice sensitivity you know what I mean I'd, I'd hate yes. it if anybody was being treated unfairly I still do um and but also on top of that, I was also a very, very good student. Like I did, I got A's and A stars at GCSE because I just had a perfectionist streak, which yeah. I think came from the, um, came from sort of, oh, I guess the the masking of everything that was going on inside of me and wanting to be the see myself as the as a better person and for me that was doing really well at school and yeah. the thought of failure was just really awful to me but, but also do you think that that's related to that um kind of rejection sensitivity mm-hmm. that you almost kind of it's so overwhelming to get something wrong or you yeah know, to get a lead and you really kind of um that that feels like a rejection in itself yeah um, I, I find personally but um 
if I if I was to get a low mark, then I would be you know really disappointed in myself. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I'm studying now, and I went straight in, and I said to my husband, if I don't get a distinction in this course, then I'm going to be really gutted. And he was like, Do you think you're setting the bar too high? And I was like, Probably. Yeah, maybe. But I'll get there. But I'm riding on a distinction at the minute, so fingers crossed. But anyway. <laughs> what what is a distinction then? Is that above seventy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I might, I need, like, I might not, I might not end there. But um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I think because I'm enjoying it and I'm passionate about it. Obviously, yeah, it's it keeping me, yeah, keeping me interested and doing well in it. Um, and and um, I can't remember where I was going with everything. Then. God, you're, you're so at us. We do that all the time. I think it'd be really good for you to talk more about what you are studying, what you're doing now. Yeah. That'd yes, be, sure that, I'm yeah. really interested to hear about this. So, uh, so yeah, I got my ADHD diagnosis and obviously in typical fashion, deep dive, started to learn everything I could about it. Um, and if there was a degree that was available for ADHD, we would all have it overnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're running the course, yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, we could just consumed all the information. Um, and also that was in preparation to go to the doctor as well to say, look, look how much I know. Look how how much of an expert I am at this topic. So you have no choice but to refer me for an assessment. Um, I know what my rights are. Yeah. I have to choose. Yeah. I might not need to use it because wait list is only I know I can do I it. I have the rights. <laughs> um, so then anyway, so because and I've already got I've already got uh, I've got a bit of a collection of uh, it's become a joke now. I've got a bit of a collection of qualifications. Um, so I've, I've got a, a bachelor's in psychology and criminology. Wow. And then I decided that I didn't want to be a criminal psychologist or whatever. I was going down that route anymore. So then I had a little bit of a break and then I decided uh, I was going to do be a social worker. So I got a social work master's. Finished that and decided no, that job wasn't for me. Uh, And and I'm not bragging. It sounds like I'm bragging. I'm not. No, it's amazing. I'm so impressed. Now when I look back, I just think like I just sometimes I see things that are so obvious. Like I just couldn't settle on a career. Yeah. Um. So then, so I found for some reason in my head, I was like, right, another qualification. What can I get? Um. But no, I saw in all the research. I was so angry because I felt there was nothing that represented me. There was nobody, no voices out there of women with ADHD. Obviously, all the research is done on, or predominantly the research is done on young male boys hysterically. Historically, maybe hysterically (laughs) as well. (laughs) (laughs) So it was, and it's all so medical, the research, which I know it's a medical field, but everything is dehumanised in that process and voices are removed exactly and just reduced to our adhd traits and how how negative they are um and i just found it totally exhausting i was like right okay i want to do something about this um also simultaneously i was riding a passion about maternal rights in birth and the patriarchy in the birth system because i'd just gone through two births and was very angry at the medical system both you and i need to have a private conversation (laughs) Okay. So I found this course, a uh, gender studies course at the University of Chester, met with the 
the tutor then she was fantastic and we had a really good conversation uh, and it was a research master's so it was giving me the opportunity to do my own research and also a bridge to a PhD which I think I would ultimately ultimately like to end up at um, but I couldn't decide between the ADHD and the birth thing um, and I think I think eventually I just sort of took a dive and thought okay I'll go down the ADHD route um, and I'm so glad I did um because now that the, although I'm very angry still about the birth stuff it's uh it's sort of passed by the wayside yeah, yeah. Um, so but that you know that's not to say that you'll never do that no 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 that um, so, so I started the gender in the future <laughs> Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I started this gender studies course with my focus being on ADHD and gendered experiences. And I'm a year, it's a two year part time course. I'm a year in. So it's still developing. But now I'm in the thick of my research, which is really exciting. So my what I'm trying to do is amplify the voices and the stories of people that haven't been heard in the research so far. So I want I'm doing qualitative research, which means it is more it's not numbers based. It's words based. It's I'm really interested in the stories and the way people view their own lives in the context of their gender and the stereotypes that they've probably been brought up in and everything. Because I know there's a genetic element to ADHD um, and but also I don't fully buy into this binary idea that we have around ADHD that there's male symptoms and female symptoms I think there's a lot more to it than that and in fact maybe the culture and the stigma and the stereotypes that we've been raised in as women actually shapes how our ADHD symptoms presents rather than yeah, being so, yeah that's really interesting it could suppress almost suppress our because typically as children you'd expect the boys to be more hyperactive and destructive in class and the argument has been has not it that well, of course, more boys are, are diagnosed because they're more, they're more like, like I said, more disruptive. Yeah. So it's going to motivate teachers, parents, doctors to, to kind of address something. Whereas girls, isn't the argument that we tend to internalise our hyperactivity, um, yeah. which leads to kind of anxiety and things like that. Yeah. So I'm so you're exploring the or researching the just to see if I got this right. The sense that. Actually, it could just be our role as women in society that's that's kind of suppressed our ability yeah. to be outwardly hyperactive or outwardly disrupt destructive. Yeah. Or disruptive, sorry. Because it's it's really not socially acceptable, is it, for girls? No, don't yeah, it totally contradicts the stereotype that you need to be a good little woman and stay quiet and yeah. do as you're told and just keep your place as the quiet the quiet one the studious one the one that's I mean it's, it's negative to boys as well because Absolutely. there must be oh, but who cares there must be so many boys with I'm joking well I didn't hear what you said sorry what did you no, say no, no, <laughs> that's probably a good idea <laughs> <laughs> you said you said that it's um, negative to boys as well and I said oh who cares about them <laughs> I mean at this point we do care about boys we do care about the male presentation too mm -hmm. There's such a sense, isn't there, that um, that if you are a child with ADHD, that you're naughty, that you're not mm. well behaved. And I was, I'm almost certain she won't listen to this. And it's not nothing negative about her particularly, but um, a mum friend from school, and she's also a teacher. Um, oh, she does listen to this, and I know her. No, you don't. <laughs> she doesn't talk to you. 
Um, and I was talking about I still um, I was talking about my daughter and saying oh she's <laughs> been diagnosed with ADHD and and considering that this mum she's also a teacher she was absolutely shocked like you say people are like mm. what and, and they, if they hear that I am as well because um, of the perception and the perception is that you're naughty isn't it and and she's yeah. always been really good when she's been at our house oh. I was like, great, I'm so glad. Like, I believed um, that she's, she keeps it together in social because she does. And like like you, you kind of alluded to, as women, as females, we tend to more, don't we? Yeah. And Sorry, I missed half of that because it froze out. I was just, from, I was saying that. She wouldn't, she wouldn't speak to you. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Oh, was that it? <laughs> Was it? I was just saying that. Um, I was just saying that. I mentioned to her we were at a holiday club together, picking the kids up, and we were talking about stuff. And I was saying, oh, um, I was just talking about my daughter and saying she's recently been diagnosed. She started on medication, and I was just oversharing as usual. And for um, yeah, and um, and she was just very very shocked. She was like, oh my god, really? Um, and then the response was, but she's always so well behaved when she's at our house. <laughs> um and I said I'm really glad actually but it's the perception isn't it and it's about and hopefully work like you're doing Roxanne is really gonna help bring to the forefront a challenge for that that yeah. being naughty doesn't equal ADHD it, it could be so many other things as well like you say trauma um you know what you're seeing at home which is trauma in itself sometimes for, for certain kids isn't it and or just um, being yeah. children even just being kids, where do you yeah. draw the line? You know, it's yeah. Um, it's and then really interesting to see see what what you've um, what you've uncovered. And I've done like so. I've done one focus group so far, and it was already it was just brilliant. Just talking to people and giving them the opportunity for them to get their voices out there. Um, and I've got another three focus groups to do. And then because it's it's so a research masters is smaller than a PhD. So I've got only got 28,000 words. So I can't probably do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm generally worried it's not going to be enough. Um, <laughs> but I can't do as much as what it would be if it was a PhD level, which I would like like it to be even bigger. Because as well, like just putting a human, humanistic element into ADHD. And so people... Yeah can understand that it presents in a variety of ways it is different yeah. to what you've been told and understood for so long to help and it needs to get out in the mainstream as well which is why I'm really grateful for opportunities to do things like this to talk yeah. about it so that other people can hear it hopefully yeah. other medical professionals will listen to yeah. it and, and hear um because there's what like um because there's been a massive with being diagnosed now as well there's been a huge people saying like oh well it's being overdiagnosed and all these people can't have ADHD you know all the rubbish that we don't need <laughs> but then that's like for me that's part of almost the patriarchy as well isn't it like women are now getting their voice and speaking up and unmasking and behaving how they want to mask and not how is expected by yeah. by the patriarchy and by men um and all of a sudden that means we're just jumping on a bandwagon or it's a train so it's, it's not that, that we have had um, inequity these, you know, exactly generations. But um, 
you know, just aye, they're trying to shut it down. And you and, and a lot, I was just going to say a lot of people will contest that and say, but it's it's not about feminism. Mm-hmm. But it, but it, it is. is. It, yeah, in it is. Sense, it certainly is that. Um, yeah. You know, we need to look at the the history of where the research was done in the first place about ADHD, uh-huh. as you say, um, mainly around about white male children. Um, yeah. And how could it how could it ever be that it only affects one gender like that? Exactly. You know, unless it's some kind of um, I don't know genetic or chromosomal issue that mm-hmm. only affects men or women, then that you know it doesn't apply for any medical condition, really, does it? No. I did um, I did an essay on parenting with ADHD for uh, one of my modules um, because again that's really that's an area that's not really had a lot of um focus or research um and it was just a little bit soul destroying because all of the research was so negative focused and about the that how ineffective being a parent with ADHD is or um and how damaging it is to children to being raised with a parent of ADHD they were all examining the effects on kids for having for having a parent with ADHD and like terms like harsh, lax, ineffective parenting. And I was just like, yeah, this is disgusting. It's probably done, it's probably done equally, by a man. Yeah, yeah. And equally, you've got to think, you know, just going back to the the, the point we were talking about being a sensitive child. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're surrounded by grown-ups who aren't very similar, but actually the flip side of that is, if you yourself have ADHD, so if I use myself as an example, I'm a sensitive person. I, you know, have gone through that that experience of being brought up by maybe not so sensitive people. Um, and then with my children, you can you can go almost too far. Maybe the argument could be that you become too soft, you become too understanding, mm-hmm. you become too kind of like say lax or with no boundaries. But actually, I feel really bloody relieved that I followed my intuition because. I've now got um, a 10-year-old who is comfortable talking to me and she, I haven't, I mean, there have been times where I feel like I have said, look at the state of your bedroom or there's this or there's that, you know, bringing that shame into it. And I really don't like it. But mm. now that's that's kind of, a lot of that's gone. There's got to be accountability. But you think about that shame that we put on our children and children yeah. with ADHD in particular. Yeah. And so there's got to be some good sides to being an adult with ADHD, bringing up a child who has yeah. ADHD as well. Definitely. Because you've got all those amazing skills, those amazing, you know, all those, I know bang on about it, that strength-based approach to it. But yeah. when, when she walked into the psychiatrist's office a, a couple of weeks ago for the official diagnosis, the first thing he said to her was, you've got an amazing brain and I'm going to help you use it the best you can. You've got oh. a gift. Yeah. And it was so, so heartwarming. I came out of there so uplifted, and, and I know that she did as well. And that means so much to us, doesn't it? It's, yeah. Because it is an amazing brain, and it is something really special. Yeah, we might not conform to, to lots of social norms. And I know I bang out on about my bloody weeding all the time, but my garden's a mess, right? But And my neighbours don't like it, or I'm, you know, I'm late filling in the forms mm. for school or I'm this or I'm that but actually the basics I think I've got down pretty damn good and I think most yeah of us, we've got that awareness haven't we we've got that experience and that sensitivity to other humans definitely 
and it and it's just for that for that look and that is the power right there you sharing that is the power of you like sharing your story and having that out there like for that not to be represented in the research no is and it's good you know let's do some research on how bloody amazing it is that we all know more about ourselves more about our brains more about our children's brains and support them it's um you know, it's, I mean, we're so positive about it in our house that my six-year-old's like, am I going to get ADHD? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you're lucky. Hashtag trending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Roxanne, <laughs> I wonder, quite often in these kind of um, TikTok ADHD videos or Instagram and LinkedIn, um, quite a lot of what I see is, and I've done it myself before, is referring to ADHD as your superpower. Now, I do very much, at times, I do really feel as if it is my superpower. But that's not to say that it's not been debilitating at times. Mm. But part of the debilitation for me has been the non-diagnosis, non-recognition of it. Yeah. And actually, since I have been diagnosed, I feel as if I have harnessed it as a bit of a, well, I mean, not not necessarily superpower per se, but as a gift. And I can very much now, instead of berating myself for, um, you know, losing interest in things or whatever. I've I've really learned to harness the good things about it. Like yeah. um, I, I resigned from my job, um, so I am completely non-restrictive. I'm doing lots of working from home. I'm following my passion. You know, we're doing the podcast. Louise and I are building the website. Um, you know, I've I've got a part-time job working in a sexual health clinic, which I really enjoy. It's really interesting. I'm doing my master's as well, which is I'm due to finish. I'm in my final year, starting yeah. in September. Um, and, you know, I'm really able to use it a bit like yourself. My research is um, based around the experiences of um, women who have ADHD through the maternity services because oh. for the last you know I've I started my midwifery 13 years ago uh-huh. and not once have I ever had any teachings around neurodiversity and how that impacts a woman through her pregnancy journey mm. um, and there's not much research out there I know there is the maternity autism research group um, which is great, but that's not ADHD. And that, you know, at yeah. times, although there is a lot of um, overlap for the symptoms, um, at times they are very, very different and very conflicting. Yeah. Um, and just to give you an example of that, yesterday um, I was taking my daughter to the hairdressers. Um, and this appointment's been on the calendar for three weeks because we are bridesmaids next weekend at my best friend's wedding. And I, yeah. Top. Yeah. Sorry, she's just interrupting in her towel. <laughs> um, if, just to get down to Dad, will you? He'll help. He's not here. Wait, he's not here. Where is he? Oh, Gone. <laughs> he's, he's, he's fucked off. <laughs> he's the dinner. You can blame him. Um, I took her, so I took her to the hairdressers, and you know, I've banged on about it, right? Um, so I was away out for breakfast with my friend, and you know, you better make sure that you're ready for such and such a time. You know, I've really built it up. She, I don't know if I just mentioned this, but she's autistic, my daughter, she's 14. Um, And we get to the hairdressers. Uh, Who's going to cut my hair? Uh, Can you tickle my back while she's cutting it? And if you can't, can you tickle my hand? 
um, you know, we've really talked through it. And I present myself at the address and say, oh, it's uh, Jodie Spence for half past ten. No, we don't have that. Oh, no. down and I thought, oh, fuck. Oh. I fucking did it again. Executive dysfunction. This potentially has the impact, or it could have a significant effect on the rest of our day now because she is going to... Uh-huh freak out because we've built up to it so much and then that's a change but equally it's unsurprising that I've not actually finalised the booking on the website when I've um, you know I've just been yeah. distracted by I must make sure that I write this down must make sure that I write this down and then I've actually not pressed to confirm yeah um, but thankfully I knew the woman who owns the hairdresser and um, I looked after her when she was having her twins and also the regular hairdresser that we normally see has two siblings in Jodie's school she goes to a special needs school um and so thank god they saved the day and they were like don't worry about it we'll get you in straight away so oh, Jodie yeah. and I never had to have much of a you know we never had to have much of a conversation around about oh I've not booked the appointment and then Jodie shouting like well why did you not pick it like, you yeah. know she really have lost the plot so thank god for that but that's you know that's just a small example of of where those two things um, conflict, you know, they contradict each other really that um, mum is one way and then the daughter is another way and that, you know, can really cause some sh- stressful environments at home. Yeah. Um, and and so while obviously research around autism in pregnancy is really important, there needs to be some for ADHD in pregnancy because the hormonal fluctuations are so important. The role of oestrogen dopamine is oh yeah really really important particularly in the postnatal period where the estrogen drops significantly and we know that that has that has a massive role in being the neurotransmitter for dopamine and dopamine is the thing that we need to function in our reward-based system um but dopamine can't do its job without you know without the right amount of estrogen um it's all, all very interesting, but I think as you as you say, the research needs to be and the done. whole uh, like shifting identity as well when you yeah of course yeah, there's so much that. there's so much around it yeah yeah so that sounds really interesting are you still looking for participants I am yeah so I so it starts in September and okay. you know I've none of none of this um finalised by the university yet they've not agreed the okay. research question but I'm just putting it out there Sheffield Hallam this will be my question <laughs> but yeah I think you know I just I think it's a very important niche that's not really been explored and how many times I've looked at someone's notes when they come in and labour um, and, and wherever it says oh she has ADHD or she has autism and I overlooked it as a midwife that, you know, mm. I didn't know ADHD. I'd never really considered it as an, an issue in terms of yeah history. But actually, it has a massive, massive yeah. impact on the way that you process information. That the way that you process so lovely information. for that to be validated for women, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. How amazing for women, you know, after us now having children... Um, are really validated with their, you know, sensory issues, the, like, say, the RSD. There's just so much, Laura, that, that like you said, you're going to be doing. Yeah. It's so, it's so um, what's the word I'm looking for? Promising. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it's going towards that, like we are saying, let's look at the positives. And the pos- positives of that are that maybe practice can be altered so that 
we really do support women and their partners yeah. in such a way that is non-judgmental, that is, um, it just encompasses the whole experience for people. Yeah, because you just feel, you know, you just feel like I've lost the fucking plot. I went into um, I went into a coffee shop yesterday that I hadn't been in since my oldest baby. Um, You know, the strength of emotions when you first have a baby. And I remember I was a single parent, Roxanne, just for for context. Yeah. I was a single parent and I'd gone um, I'd gone to this town with a friend of mine and my, obviously my baby was in a pram. We went into, it was a Cafe Nero and there wasn't any space to sit downstairs. There wasn't much space, you know, for the pram and everything. Oh, yeah. But there was an upstairs seating area. So I remember this so acutely. There was an upstairs seating area, but there was no lift. And I remember feeling so depressed, like... My life is restricted that much. Now I can't go upstairs in a fucking cafe near her. But not... But you can, you just can't kind of take the baby with you. The doom of being a new parent and just being like, oh my God, where's my life gone? Where? Yeah. I and you know what? I didn't say I was with my husband and my brother and, and our kids. And I didn't say it to any of them yesterday. I just quietly kept it to myself because I thought, they're probably not going to understand where I'm coming from. Just, you know, mm. but it like it's so life altering, and it for me just felt like a sense of doom that's never yeah. left. Me. <laughs> doom has left me, but um, okay if it hasn't. Like we need to normalise talking about that more as well. Like yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and it's so it can be. You can, I mean, just as humans, we can go to really dark places, can't we? And mm, like yeah, you definitely. said, it can be so intense with your emotions. And that's something that I've always um, experienced, that when I share things like that with most people, they don't see the significance of it or they don't appreciate the significance of it. But for me, it was like, oh, oh my God, there's just moments of time that that feel really, really significant. Um, and, and, and they are significant, yeah yeah oh yeah definitely um and just all consuming yeah absolutely yeah because you if you've struggled to manage yourself then you've suddenly got another human to look after i mean we all know this this rhetoric don't we We all know this it's you know it's, Mm. it's scary for all parents um and my my daughter, my six-year-old the other day was talking to me. I was talking about doing all the washing. And she said, but why is it so difficult? <laughs> you don't bloody help me. No. I. But I said, oh, well, I was okay when it was just me. I could manage my stuff okay. But now I've got four other people and so many other beds to change. And all, you know, it's, mm. it becomes a mammoth task, doesn't it? That probably just shines a bright spotlight on your executive functioning or lack of yeah. yeah I just found I didn't have the like didn't have the energy to to hide my emotions as well anymore either to keep it all in and to mask as well everything just became really? yeah everything just became so intense and I was I was angry about a lot of things and um and I didn't I was angry that my life changed so much and nobody warned me um <laughs> yes. this baby in particular um and 
I just because my focus was all on trying to keep a human alive um yeah my I just didn't have the energy anymore to to keep it up for myself and now I mean now um I always my husband uh he's a very very good man and I always sort of think of it as a way like I'm the storm and he's like the eye of the storm so I'm like the chaos and he's the calm in the center and me just like the Tasmanian devil sort of around him a little bit um, oh, that's a really nice analogy. Lovely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you'll listen to this and hear that, but there we go. Well, <laughs> if you um, didn't, like my husband, you'll know listen. <laughs> um, but he, like, he does the majority of the household tasks now because I, can't, I physically, and I, I've no, I, I don't know how to describe it to other people, but I physically cannot look after the humans in the house and the dog. And myself, and worry about all the other shit that has to yeah. get done. Yeah. I just can't do it. Um, yeah. So, and we found a balance that works really well for us. And I'm very lucky in that respect. Yeah. And I'm very lucky and and privileged that I don't have to work at the minute, uh, and I'm at, at home with both of the kids. Um, so that helps as well. I think if I was having to also manage a job at the moment, I would. I think I'd be really, really struggling. Mm. Um, so. Uh, yeah yeah uh, I'm very lucky in that respect yeah mm. and I think knowing that knowing about your diagnosis and the way that your brain works it really helps those around you doesn't it really helps them to kind of mm. uh, almost forgive things that they may not have before or mm. um just go okay I, I know that's really tough for you actually I'm going to just back off there yeah um, and and it helps Again, for me, and I, I do talk a lot about shame, I think just because I've been reading too much Brene Brown, but um, <laughs> the the shame that I've always felt around mistakes that I've made, impulses I've had, etc., has been quite huge. But now I feel quite comfortable. I mean, I don't go around telling everyone, but just referring to things or saying, I know how that feels because I've done X, Y, and Z, or... Um, mm. Because it really does help break down those barriers and say, actually, need you know, I need that help here. I need, yeah. and it validates it, doesn't it? You know, I'll say to my husband, I mean, we all need sleep anyway. I did this before I got diagnosed, but I'll say, look, you know, I'm running on empty now. I need, mm. I need you to take over here because I'm going to lose my shit. Yeah. Um, but like last night, I think I had about 10 hours sleep. I know I don't look like I did, but I feel so different. And, you, do, and it, you, look, you look really lovely today. And well, I think you today, do. So not, you look like usually, but... Like, but you do, particularly, you look very refreshed and a nice kind of... I do, I feel it, because I recognised what I needed, and I reached out to those around me and said, back off, give me a rest. Mm, yeah. I did, and it's, it's so much easier to do that, isn't it, when you understand yeah. yourself more. Yeah, it gives you, like... Like, yeah, that gives you permission to, and that's sort of what the therapy did for me as well. And, and yeah. it allowed me to work out the language so I could say, without it saying to me, without me feeling like it was me failing, the language for me to say, yeah, it's okay for me to have a break and for me to ask yeah. for that break. And it's like act, essential. Yeah, yeah. And my husband's a very capable parent, and it's yeah. okay for me to step back and let him parent. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what what things do you do for self care then for your own well being? What does that look like for you, Roxanne? 
Mm. Um, I don't like, what does it look like? I don't know. I feel like, for me, it's things that I like. I go for, I go for a lot of walks. I've got a dog, so I like to get out in like the open air. I spend a lot of time in the garden with the kids. Like We spend a lot of time outside because that's where I feel more comfortable parenting if I've if I've got a play date with somebody if it's going to be inside I feel very anxious about that because trying to could not control but trying to deal with a toddler inside is just a bit of a nightmare sometimes unless it's a play space where they can let loose yeah yeah um so being outside is where I feel comfortable we were talking to um we were talking to somebody else um I think it was Jade, wasn't it? A, a few um, on a few podcasts ago, but um, and she, we were talking about the um, how difficult it felt once you had children to be able to integrate into things like baby and toddler groups. And yeah, really. Oh my god, I hate. Not I don't hate them, but I just, I went to one and that was it. I've not been to another yeah. one. And, that, said, yeah. uh, and I think that seems like the theme because you were the same, Louise, and I was. I was exactly the same. I never, I never done them at all, and I think uh, part of that I almost felt as if it was um, like the baby was, you know, like oh, mine slept all night last night. Oh, yours only get six. You only get six. Mm. Mine's has got a tooth. Mine doesn't have a tooth. I'm using um, disposable nappies. Oh, oh. You're really bad for the environment. I'm using um, reusable nappies are all oh, your bottle feeding and breastfeeding all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff I, I absolutely detested it yeah. not that I, I mean I think I went to one um I went to one it's yeah not for me absolutely not for me and I just felt so uncomfortable and, it, and I don't think it's that people are doing anything particularly wrong but it's just such an art for me just felt like it's such an artificial kind of environment yeah. and, and just really struggling that increases your isolation, isn't it? And I suppose that's another interesting thing that I potentially can touch on in my research is that you're far less likely to, um, you know, develop those kind of group um, supportive environments. We know that they have their benefits because there's lots of research on them um, and do create very, you know, very good communities and support networks from baby groups. But um, I wonder if there is a connection between, um, you know, people who have ADHD are less likely, less inclined to access that. Therefore, that might ma- mm. be magnifying the the kind of issues that, that are faced. Surely, yeah. People with neurodivergence in general, probably, and surely, yeah. just because it's such an intense environment, very noisy, so, yeah. the socialisation aspect and stuff, and then the shame and the stigma and the guilt, like... And, you're, yeah. and you've got your baby also to, you know, cater for, to feed while you're out and about, and it's the steps mm. to doing those things as well, like how do, I, how do I prepare the formula or how do I breastfeed in public? Mm. You know, I change in the nappy, all those things. It always made me laugh as well because everybody... Um, there was all this thing, big thing about the changing bag and everybody would have these changing bags packed to the brim with everything they need and I was there just with one nappy oh, and, I, and that was all and sometimes no nappy or whatever yeah. and um just tap one off someone else yeah yeah and it's not like I was deliberately you know what I mean like trying to I just hate carrying bags anyway. Yeah, yeah. Thought, oh, it's just right. more clutter as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, 
I do. I went to, there's an outdoor play group that I do actually that I really, really enjoy, but it's not really a play group. They just run off and do their own thing. So that's why. And it's yeah. outside. So. Right. Sounds good. Yeah, it is really good. Yeah, can, can we touch on that for a second, actually, about um, projects? So, yeah. obviously, you're getting in a lot, getting a lot of dopamine from your learning, which I think is mm. where I get a lot of mine as well. But what other kind of... Um, weird and wonderful projects have you had on the go that you think this is going to make it big <laughs> um, I think everything I do I think this is going to make it big <laughs> like <laughs> I think this is it now this is what I'm going to do um and I was and not even just make it big for myself do you know what I mean this yeah. is going to be my hobby now this is going to be yeah. my thing let me or go. I can be a professional at this now yeah exactly I started a cross stitch um about seven years ago and I've still not finished it um <laughs> and I get I go through periods where I get so intensely into it um and I was going to show it you but obviously it's a podcast so that's pointless people can't see it <laughs> um and it's also not very much to look at I've still only about a tenth of the way through it because I get so into it and then I think no this is really fucking boring why am I still doing this and then I get back into it again and I do that with hobby hopping yeah real hobby hop like real crafting things like um I made a patchwork quilt that took me again some about five well longer than five years I started it I think when I was in my like early twenties, so that must have been though, right? You've even though it's going on, you haven't just thrown it in the bin. No, that's true. But I tend to then get to the point where I get so fed up that it's still doing around that, that it's still there that my finished job of it is not very careful or thought through. Oh, it's just yeah. like right to get it done. Yeah, this patchwork quilt I did, I was just then I got so annoyed that I had all these bits of quilt everywhere that I was just throwing them together. Um, not taking much care and putting it together and my husband was like you've literally been doing this for a decade why are you not taking more care at putting this together uh, and I was like Cause I just want it done and I want it out of out of my head and out of the way um so now you do kind of do you find that you put a little bit of pressure on yourself in terms of those things like it's another yeah. thing that's mulling around in the back of your mind adding to your already yeah busy busy to-do list but you know it's not to do for now but you know that at some point you need to get this finished yeah definitely um, like it, if it's, it's really if it's not done it's just there always circling yeah, so, around, and, yeah. like, and then every now and again it'll come to the forefront like this needs doing and then yeah. go back and and even if it's not in the forefront and I'm not thinking about it you just know it's there I just it's so it's like, hard yeah. to explain to people it's like if I see something in the house um like I don't know, some dust somewhere, or we've got a golden retriever, really hairy, or like a ball of his hair. I can't unsee it. So yeah. it's not that I'm a clean freak or I'm really effective and, and um, efficient, sorry. But I've just got to, it's got to be done because I can't carry yeah. on with what I need to do. You yeah, know, like yeah. the other day we were, I had an appointment with Laura and somebody else on a call, and, but I just bought this Mel, Melju cleaner. Oh. And well, I had to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. It gets. I mean, you get a bit excited about weird things. Like, oh, yeah. I just bought this at the shop. I'm desperate to go home and start it. You know, before I even feed the kids their lunch. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it's yeah. all like, it's fucking. I mean, it's it frust- you mad, doesn't it? I found that difficult with having kids as well. So, like, if like I had this thing that I needed to get done, but then 
but then sometimes you you can't because your kids are demanding your attention oh, yeah and the, and the yeah. distraction and that is a real struggle um yeah. and can trigger my sort of not my rage but my like sort of yeah yeah and your yeah. intolerance then of the children because you are desperate to you know get that thing yeah. done and you really got to concentrate on it but the fact that the children are there and they're you know giving you all this input into uh-huh. your mind and the noise of them demanding you you think oh my god yeah, I can yeah, really relate stuff. to that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really uh, relate to that. That sense of Yeah. Mm. Um, do you have you experienced any what they, what they they who are they? But what is referred to as body repetitive behaviours? So I say that just because you can see that here twirling my hair, which has oh, now led right. to me having a trapped nerve in my shoulder because my hands always up like this. Um. It, it's just you know like it just is really frustrating but I can't stop myself and it's unlike me to do it with the other hand for some reason yeah um, yeah other things that I do is um pick my fingers or pick the dry yeah. skin on my toe um or yeah. if I can't do any of those things I start chewing inside of my mouth you know what what has have you had any of those kind of fidgets or stimming or beyond yeah. I didn't know it at the time but I've always had an issue with chewing my nails um and I've, I've tried numerous times to stop and never been able to. And now I know why that is, because I think that's one of my stimming things, yeah. or like my fidgets or whatever. Or, um, just, or just even helping. I thought it was like an anxiety thing. But mm, I don't think it is anxiety related now. I think it helps me to concentrate. Yeah. So and it, I, can, I can barely answer, you know, if somebody phones you like the old fashioned way, <laughs> you're not looking at the the video if I'm on the phone to somebody that I can't see their face I find that I get up and if I'm in the living room I just start walking round about the coffee table yeah why I mean it just obviously I just need to the be moving to yeah 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 when I'm driving I I'm that's one of my big triggers for chewing my nails and I guess yeah because it helps me focus on the road but it sounds like such yeah. a contradiction um and I find I do a lot of vocal stuff as well um like just repeating phrases or singing I talk to myself all the time and I never really mm. rec- noticed it before like before I got diagnosed really but yeah I'm constantly sort of having a little conversation with myself or singing or or whatever um yeah. or just shouting out <laughs> it's, I don't think it's not to I was yeah. gonna say just pretend you'll get to it <laughs> yeah <laughs> And then I don't know if you, I'd like, do you mimic, or I've, I've mimicked people's accents in the past, which is so embarrassing. Like, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to see that I have, but I can't uh, do them. I think it's but. that social, social sort of, um, yeah, social awkwardness, but also, what's the word, where you're trying to relate to people. And I've, always, I've got one memory, when I was a teenager, me and my friend were on holiday and I fell on some rocks and an Irish guy came over to check I was okay. And I responded in an Irish accent. <laughs> My friend was like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> yeah. an evolutionary thing, and you just thought he's more likely to save me if he thinks I'm Irish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and I had the whole thing conversation in Irish, and off he went. And I was like, "I have no idea where that came from." <laughs> <laughs> but it was obviously, it's obviously, so I was very good at it because he didn't suspect a thing. But why yeah. would he suspect that somebody's pretending? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, um, I'm just I'm getting conscious of the time um, and yeah. we don't want to hold you up any longer but a couple of final questions from us mm-hmm. um if if you could give 
anyone any advice that is sat waiting for five years on an NHS waiting mm-hmm. list? Um, what kind of what advice would you give them in terms of um, coping strategies or how to reach out for additional support before them actually having a diagnosis? That um, diagnosis is validating, but self-diagnosis is also valid. So you know yourself a lot better than any psychologist who Mm. has just met you will know you. You know what you want help with. And I think now with anecdotally with so many voices on the internet there is a lot of information out there about um and a lot of information and help out there about certain ADHD traits and how to manage them so you can identify which trait without a diagnosis you can identify which traits you're struggling with hopefully and be able to find the specific advice for that trait without a diagnosis Mm -hmm. Because then I think it's so important, self-diagnosis is valid. And my diagnosis changed my life. Self-diagnosis wasn't enough for me because of imposter syndrome, doubting myself, not trusting myself and, you know, self-worth and everything. But I think if if I'd heard the message, self-diagnosis is valid more, then I maybe would have trusted myself more. Like, the thing is, if you think you've got ADHD, you probably do have like yeah. people are you're not going to suspect it people know themselves don't they they like the people have gut instinct yeah. um so i suppose my advice is to just to trust yourself and um and also i reckon you can probably get things like adhd coaching while yeah without, yeah you can yeah uh, without having an official diagnosis yeah. Yeah. and i think yeah. things like ADHD, like the coaching uh therapies that you can get are very uh beneficial because I, th- I imagine that would be I haven't done it but I imagine it'd be very similar to the therapy that I did um and you can do that without having a doctor yeah. officially tell you that you've yeah, got what yeah. you, you know yeah you're, sort of thing yeah absolutely I think that's really lovely to share that with people because I um I was the same as you I well I I think even after I was diagnosed I still, you know, had lots of doubts, um, and it's it, like you say, it's important. Even if, you know, even if you have no official diagnosis, there are still things you can do to help. So, yeah, I think that's really kind and and nice for people to hear, isn't it? I hope so. <laughs> um, I have a question though. Um, well, my question's always not as serious, but what's the most ADHD thing you've done this week? So mine, I've done loads, but I've just realised I've done something this morning while we've been on this call. I put these earrings in um, just for you to see, ladies. Um, you know, yeah. it's one of the hook earrings. Uh-huh. I was rushing to get on the call. I was like, ah, oh, what's wrong with it? Oh, there's something in my ear. There must be something. I've got something. That's, I couldn't get it in properly. But I, I got it, pushed it and got it in. Um, and just while you've been talking, I've realised that the, you know, sometimes you get a little plastic back. Oh, Oh no! What's stuck in your ear? Oh, no, it was. Did you it push was it straight off. through. On the oh. earring, and uh-huh. I was putting the earring on with it there, but thankfully it was still on the actual earring and not in my ear. Not inside the ear hole. But um, you know, just me not taking care, just rushing and because I because I had so many other things that I had to do, like yeah, you know, it's um, and then I don't know if you just noticed I call myself a knob, um, 
so that's not kind no don't do that (laughs) doing that so that's that's me just for today really um or was googling houses to go and move to greece as well just was watching a documentary but um, i'm over that now (laughs) (laughs) have you got anything yeah i mean yesterday i had a really um adhd day i think um like oh, i went i was meeting some friends um for uh, afternoon tea because we're posh like that um because that's what we do because that's just what we do well, yeah, fancy um so the parking uh, i just found i um, went to the car park that was suggested on this place's website and it's in stockport um and i don't know if you like i hate these apps for parking that are cropping up everywhere oh yeah, yeah, yeah. does my head in um and if there's going to be an app, can we just all agree to use the same app and not have 10 different apps? Yeah, like yeah, really, yeah. Like, it's stupid. So anyway, so I got there and I couldn't, I didn't have any cash because who has cash anymore? I don't. Um, and it was pay by app. And it's an app I'd already got. So I thought, Jesus. okay, straightforward. I can do that. I was already running late. Um, so I just messaged my friends to let me know I was doing that and then I'd be meeting them. Um and then it wasn't straightforward because I hadn't used the app in a long time. So they were telling me that I had to change my password or delete the app. <laughs> Tried to change password, couldn't do that. Uh, did just because I'm not good with tech at all. So I, and by this point, I was getting more and more flustered because I knew I was already late um, and I was impatient. So I was pressing double bu- pressing buttons like again and again. So I had about five verification codes all come through at once on my phone. I'm like, I don't know which verification code I need to use now. <laughs> Um, so I ended up just leaving the car in the car park and walking to where we were having afternoon tea and ringing my husband. And this is what I mean about the eye in the middle of the storm, uh, ringing my husband and say, can you, this is the code. Can you download the app and can you pay for parking for me? Um, and he did, um, uh, because he doesn't want a parking ticket either. (laughs) Um, so I mean, there was that. And then we got there. Oh, I got there. Um, and then I was paying for um, afternoon tea um, and I went over and because I'm really clumsy um, as I after I'd scattered, bopped my card on the machine, uh, dropped, let go of my card inexplicably. Uh, and there was a grate underneath and my card slid through. Oh, was, no. oh great. Almost perfectly. Luckily, there was a tray underneath because it catches all the yucky drink water in this tray. Um, and I was like, oh, no. And I, I said to the guy, oh, God, does that happen all the time? I bet that happens all the time. And he was like, no, that's the first time. could <laughs> <laughs> have lied, couldn't he? Sometimes yeah, no. that would have yeah. Been he, probably, he probably was lying because he probably thought you were trying to get a clean or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got my card back, so it was fine um but I was like oh okay so it was the two things really that yeah yesterday yeah, was one quite... thing leads to another doesn't it yeah it just feels like it all happens at once sometimes yeah and I think actually um if you have a little look at where you are in your menstrual cycle now uh-huh. um those that kind of the week that your estrogen is starting to dip is when you have more blunders yeah um, which is which I find very interesting um <laughs> I feel like a dodging cart sometimes, like bumping off everything as I'm walking through the house. <laughs> sometimes my husband will say to me, I don't know how you have lived for 37 <laughs> years and not like, killed yourself by now. Just yeah. with the amount of silly, blunderous, clumsy, 
things that you do. But it's great if you can, you know, I've experienced that the past um, week where I've had a couple of things happen in quick succession. And I've actually been far kinder to myself now than I ever have been because the things that were happening would have made me cry before, you know, like one yeah. thing on top of another thing on top of another thing. And before long, I would have been coming home crying to my husband, yeah. being like, oh, I'm just so shit at this. And, and then that happened. But actually, I was like, do you know what? It is what it is. I can't, I can't take it back. It's done now. I've never done any of it maliciously. And we're all still alive. And just yeah. be kinder to yourself. That's the absolutely, and that is such like that's the benefit, isn't it, of sharing these stories and talking about it more and absolutely, having podcasts yeah. like this. And you know, and I've not spoken about ADHD. Let's talk. All I was going to say that. Did you want to give us a little bit of a plug about your ADHD? Let's talk. Um, yeah, we'll do. Really, I mean, and really how, how people can find you and. So I'm part of my doing this, uh, starting my research and amplifying people's voices that haven't been heard in the research and stuff. I started ADHD Let's Talk, which you can find on Instagram, hashtag. Oh, no, it's not a hashtag, is it? It's an at, at ADHD <laughs> Let's Talk. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, it's on Twitter as well, but I don't really, I'm not, A, a I'm, I'm not a big fan of Mr. Musk um and B I'm not very good on Twitter anyway so Instagram is the place really to go uh, and so I've used that as a way a of sharing my research findings and oh, yeah. um recruiting participants which I've done now and through that process so now it's mainly sharing my research findings and stuff and get them out there and also inviting people to uh, who want to share their stories no diagnosis necessary just if you feel like you haven't been represented uh in ADHD research or if you feel you're you're not part of the ADHD stereotype that's put out there if you feel like your voice hasn't been heard in relation to your experience of having ADHD or anything like that then I'd love to just share share your stories I've had uh, I've shared a few stories so far and it's just it feels really empowering for both the people that are sharing their stories and for me to be able to do it um and uh people uh, people have said that it's been really helpful for them so that's that's nice um so basically yeah there's a way of sharing people's stories around their adhd their experiences of having adhd um you don't have to have a diagnosis to do that or anything like that that's lovely i just think that's that's brilliant and i think it's such an inspiration you know that you're you're using your diagnosis for the greater good you know and your time and i'm assuming your money into doing your master's research oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and I really look forward to actually seeing it published I look forward to reading it oh um, thanks Roxanne I noticed you're doing it with the University of Chester if you're ever up here please give me a shout it'd be lovely to um did you live in Chester yeah oh no way of course Cheshire um yeah of course oh yeah brilliant yeah 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 please do it'd be lovely to catch up and hear what you're up to and yeah yeah honestly, definitely not an not an empty offer have I uh we're genuine right yeah have I got your um details you probably don't but I will make sure you've got them and I will okay Okay, then yeah yeah I'm uh, I don't have to go into uni right now for anything specific but I do go up every now and again to get a quiet space to do work and that sort of stuff so yeah I'll get in touch be lovely to catch up yeah thanks 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 so much it's been lovely thanks Roxanne Thanks, Roxanne Thanks, Roxanne
I'm Laura, she's Louise, and we've both got ADHD.